Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Deer Hunting Podcast, episode number 101. Jim Snow, Big Whitetails, and the Euro Hanger. Big Buck Registry is a virtual museum of hunting stories. We preserve a piece of Americana by interviewing and recording hunters about their hunts and experiences from across the country. And who knows, maybe we'll learn a thing or two along the way that'll help us take our hunt to the next level. This is Jana Waller from Skullbound TV, and you're listening to my favorite podcast on Stitcher, the Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Podcast. Hey everyone, this is Daniel Lee Martin with Brotherhood Outdoors, and you are in the right place. You are listening to my good buddies over there at the Big Buck Registry Deer Hunting Podcast. Hey everyone, this is Zach Doyle with the Rack Packer Outdoors, and you're listening to my favorite podcast of all time, the Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Deer Hunting Podcast. I'm also here with my good friend from Ohio, Dusty Phillips. Dusty, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. Doing great. Yeah, it's getting into late spring. Crops are starting to show themselves here in Ohio, Buckeye State. Everybody's getting their crops planted. You know what that means? Antler growth is upon us. Yes, it is. It'll you know, and deer season will be here before you know it. Just a few months away, which is crazy to think that it, we're just that close. Oh yeah, it's just this is right around the corner, really. Right now, how do you treat your racks or your mounts do you have a a special way that you like to prepare them are they all shoulder mounts do you do some european mounts well i definitely got some european mounts i I like a good skull mount okay i do too it's actually my preferred method for most bucks that i have and it's it just quite frankly i can do it at home i'm not a taxidermist but it still presents nicely and and you know enough to get it done but when you're done with that now what do you do how do you hang it on the wall? No, I tell you, I struggled for years. It was a struggle trying to figure out how to hang these skull mounts on the wall. I, I, it was miserable. I'd have them sitting around everywhere. The nose pieces get broken off. You know, and I, I've even heard of people getting the tines broken off because you know, they're just laying around. It's very hard to, to hang a skull mount. It, you know, yeah, you can have a big, huge wood placard, but that's just something that I wasn't attracted to. But it's okay if you do that. Right, but you know, there, there's other ways out there, and I found a product that that hung the skull mounts in a professional way. It's very clean, very unique, and, and it and it holds the head steady. It's perfect for the the European skull mount trophy that you've either harvested, found somebody's given you, and you want to display it on the wall without getting it all messed up sitting on the floor. I know a lot of listeners out there they're going to be like, man, I got a skull laying right over here. Right, the Euro hanger. I guarantee you like the way it hangs. And you found this product where? How did you find this particular item? You know, I, I, I was just cruising through Facebook one time. Okay. And that's how I located them. And, and it was just a coincidental thing that uh, I found the Euro hanger. And it's it's kind of funky spelled in a sense that it's it's spelled right. But it's it's spelled E-U-R-O-H-A-N-G-E-R. It's all one word. Euro okay. Hanger. Euro hanger. Got it. You can go to facebook.com forward slash Eurohanger, and you can also order them on eBay. Just go to ebay.com and, and type in Eurohanger right there at eBay. You can order them. 
It's a pretty simple way to order it. They're, they're affordable. And if, uh, man, you, once you get one, you're going to order more. I'll guarantee it. Right. And you started playing around with this product, and then you met the owner of the yeah, product. Yeah, I, I, uh, I got with, uh, with the owner, Jim Snow, Yep. which, by the way, is our guest today on the show. He is, and turns out he's a passionate deer hunter like the rest of us. Absolutely. You know, and I met Jim Snow and I got to talk with him and uh, I invited him over to uh, Chubby Tines Outdoors, which is my page. And, and uh, we got to talking and I, I'm always uh, looking for new sponsors to do giveaways and, and uh, a few different things that we can offer there at Chubby Tines Outdoors right here on Facebook. But uh, I got to talk with Jim Snow and uh, Jim Snow joined up with me and, and sponsored Chubby Tines Outdoors and uh, been with me for two years now. And man, what a great product. And he stands behind it and you got an issue with it, he'll try try to resolve it with you and that, that right. says a whole lot to me he's, a, he's a, a really good individual person like he's a good person and that's that's who we request to be a guest on our show and he gets this he's sharing his deer hunts from ohio your home state where he lives and his deer hunt of a lifetime in missouri and there's a, there's a very unique twist to the end of that tale but i'm gonna let jim tell that story yeah, I'm hoping that we're uh, going to get in some great deer stories and some great content for the listeners. Yes. So let's uh, let's not hold out anymore. Let's go get Jim and have him tell us his stories about Ohio, the Eurohanger, and a deer hunt in Missouri. Awesome. Let's do it. Jim Snow, welcome to the Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Deer Hunting Podcast. How are you, Jim? Thank you. We're doing pretty good tonight. Excellent. Where's home, Jim? Where are you hanging out right now? Uh, I live, uh, I'm out in sticks. I, uh, my closest town to me is probably Warsaw, Ohio. That's about, I'm about uh, seven miles north of Warsaw. Gotcha. So you're a Buckeye like Dusty is. Yes, sir. All right. Well, we like uh, we like the Ohio State. I'm a, I'm a fan. I've, I've been there just uh, once in my life and uh, wasn't. Really during, I guess it was during deer hunting season, wasn't it, Dusty? Yeah, it was cold, boy. It was cold. We weren't doing much hunting, but I got to take a good look around, and I was very excited, and it was a completely different experience from the terrain that I'm used to here in New Hampshire. So I need to get back there at some point and hang out with you guys. Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. Jim, have you lived in Ohio your whole life? I have, yes. I'm I'm 43, and uh, I actually, uh, I, I built... Uh, my house within a, a mile from where I grew up. So. Oh, no kidding. And what was life like growing up in your part of Ohio? Oh, it was, you know, we're out in the country, so, you know, it's quiet and, you know, uh, well, mostly woods. I mean, I was, I, I spent a lot of time in the woods, you know, exploring like any other kid does and, uh, just, just out and about anything outdoors, you know. Gotcha. And that's where all the, the outdoor adventures that you participate in now stem from your childhood and back to those the, that type of being in the country type setting. Is that correct? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was always uh, squirrel hunting or rabbit hunting, you know, whatever I could do. Very cool. Very cool. So how was the deer hunting growing up uh, back then? How old? Actually, let's back up a sec. How old are you now? I'm 43. 43. Okay. I, I understand 43 because I am 43. And, oh, great. Yeah, you so, guys are old. Uh, yeah, Dusty's like a baby over there. <laughs> I had to say it. Sorry, guys. Yeah. Every time I open my, my mouth about my age, he just, you know, it's his opportunity to hit the, the, the ball out of the park. And he never, yeah. ever doesn't do that. He just has to. 
like his thing. Um, so, forty three. So you're uh, born in seventy one, and yep. yep. So let's see, nineteen seventy one. What was deer hunting like back? Uh, you know, so you probably went hunting when you were five or so. Um, I I started hunting when I was ten. Ten. Okay. Uh, so nineteen eighty one. What was deer hunting like in nineteen eighty one in Ohio? Well, I don't remember seeing a whole lot of deer <laughs> hunting, you <laughs> okay. know, and and even even going back uh, when I was younger, I remember my dad always gun hunted, and I remember, you know, I just remember him coming back in from hunting. I don't ever remember him shooting anything. Interesting. And, uh, yeah, it was it was kind of strange. When I got to be about ten, uh, by then, of course, my dad had lost interest, and uh, but luckily, I had an uncle uh, that always gun hunted, and uh, that's that's what I started to do first. That's you know that's what I live for that week of gun season. And, uh, you know, I would always, my mom and dad let me take a week off of school and uh, deer hunt. And I, I, the first couple of years I didn't, I didn't kill anything. And then, you know, consistently, then I would take a doe at least, you know, one a year. And I believe back then that's all they allowed you was just one either or, you know, and, uh, I think you see my first buck, I killed my first buck in 88 actually. And it was just a basket rack. And uh, my first large buck was uh, 95, and it was uh, okay. it was 100, yeah, 160 inch, uh, 13 point. And I, I killed it on the, my home place there where I was where I was raised. That's a nice deer. And that's, yeah. Oh, yeah. After that, I was all about the big bucks. <laughs> so, so what happened to the? The deer population, or was it a population thing? Dusty, chime in here too, if if you know whatever's going on here. So you, you didn't see a lot of deer back in '81. Were there less deer in Ohio, or was it just it was just your experience level? I'd say it was uh, just not the, not the population. I mean, you know, we were out there. It was a little the hunting style my uncle did was usually you know deer drives and you know he knew this guy that owned this farm and we you know we never seemed to spend a lot of time in any one place but you know we just go in and drive it and and out and uh but i i what i do know is now i see a lot a lot a lot more deer than i ever did you know as a kid right gotcha yeah, and and that boils down to that the, the deer herd just wasn't here in the 80s is that right? Interesting. Yeah, it, uh, you know, it was very unusual to, you know, in the 70s to even see a deer. You know, southern Ohio, yeah, there might have been a little more. But, you know, I've done a little research talking to some um, some hunters that really thrived in the 80s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. And they're telling me that uh, it was really odd to see a, a deer, you know, even up to 87, 88. Then it started picking up, that's what they're telling me. That's fascinating. So this is like a, a really a, a nice tale in game management and and letting your herd grow. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and that, that comes from too many tags and you know a big kill and weather conditions and, and the deer just wasn't in the area quite as much. But you know, back then you had uh, you had pheasant quail. It was thriving, and now that that's kind of died off a little bit, the deer have picked up. Gotcha. So, Jim, knowing what you know now, what would you tell that 10-year-old Jim Snow back then about deer hunting? Oh, I just told him to pick up a bow <laughs> and leave and leave that gun in the, in the gun cabinet. Right. That's a good one. Uh, that's a, that's yeah. a very good point. Excellent. Honestly, yeah. I, yeah. I, I learned, uh, I, I took some advice from uh, uh, my very wise taxidermist in uh, all probably 03, he, uh, 
he 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 saw how you know excited I was with with uh, with big bucks, and he, you know he said uh, he said Jim he had done uh, taxidermy for thirty some years, and uh, he said the the guys that bring me big bucks year after year consistently the same guys they they kill them with a bow and they use you know scent controlled clothes. And, you know, at the, at the time, I was just a gun hunter, and I, I, I didn't even worry about scent that much, you know, because, you, you know, you guys gun hunt at all, you know. Uh, usually gun season, they're just running around scared for the most part. Uh, with, with, with bow hunting, absolutely, completely different situation. I, I, I started learning so much more about deer bow hunting. Uh, you know, you can study them in their, at their own, you know, doing their own everyday thing. Hmm. You know, you learn more about their body language. And uh, so, yeah, I guess looking back, I wish I'd have started bow hunting a lot earlier. That's a good point. All right. So let's talk about the the deer body language a little bit. What have you learned about that now that you've been uh, training yourself with the bow? What what types of things are they saying to you? Well, you know, you, you can, we can always tell. Uh, I usually hunt with my son, and it's it's kind of funny because we know – uh, you know, you get one deer in the field, and you know when that next one's coming because uh, just their ears alone. You know, if, if they hear a noise, they're always going to throw an ear towards it. But when they've got both ears concentrated in that direction, 99 times out of 100, a deer's going to walk out. You know, they they just throw one ear over there. <laughs> it's usually nothing. You know, maybe it's a squirrel or scampering, but every time their uh, their eyes and both ears is in the, in that general direction, there's a deer walking out. So. That's a good one. That's one of the biggest. Yeah, yeah that's one of the biggest things we've noticed. Gotcha. You know, it's 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 kind of a game for my son and I when we're hunting. You know, we're like, oh, you know, here comes one. Get ready. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> sure enough. Yeah. yeah. Um, what else? What else do you notice? Uh, just how they, uh, you know, during the rut, uh, you can almost tell when a when a when a buck's going to come in the field. I mean, if, if you've already got a buck out in the field. Uh, they immediately start getting stiff. I mean, long before you see the deer, the other buck coming, they, they, you know, how they stiffen up and they bristle. Uh, it, it's almost a great early warning sign to, to get your bow off the hook. Mm. Uh, you know, they start to do stiff legging. Uh, you know, they can 90%, I think, what they go off of is smell. But uh, just just that alone has been a big factor. You know, seeing them, seeing them do their, their everyday thing instead of just running out scared has been great. Gotcha. It's a lot more relaxing. Dusty, seeing we're on the subject of deer language, what, what types of things would you throw into that? You know, the tail movement, there's different, different signs of, you know, what kind is going on, you know, if, uh, that's stuff that you can study as you're out there in the woods. But, you know, Jim touched base on a little bit about, uh, a smaller buck getting stiffened up whenever a larger buck, mature buck's coming into to an area. You know, they, they almost tell you the story before it happens. If you really pay attention to the deer herd as, as different animals are coming in to the area, they'll, they'll almost, uh, let you know what's going on before it even happens. But it, it takes some experience. That's not something that, uh, you're going to be able to notice your first few times in the woods. It just, takes time yeah i mean those things are those things are really hard to read in a textbook or listen to on a podcast and then recognize it in the field it's almost like you have to see it a couple times before you could use that uh, knowledge to your advantage yeah absolutely you know that 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 all comes with the experience and and a lot of seat time and you know they act a little bit different when a coyote's coming in you know it's almost like they get uh 
almost like they get playful skirtish. Right. And that's something that you can recognize right off the bat, and you know exactly what's coming before it happens. Because just the, just the re- their actions and, and the way they are presenting themselves in a different manner than normal conditions. Uh, you know, if they're walking in a line, you got a group of deer coming in, they're all walking nose to tail on each other. Watch that and really focus on what the lead doe or the lead buck's doing so that you know the next time you get in a situation that, you know, this is what he did when he had another buck behind him. That way you can recognize if there's another deer coming. You know, it's just all things that over time you'll pick up with experience. Yeah, and I, I mean, that's stuff I love capturing here. And that's it's just priceless information, but yeah, I guess you wouldn't really apply it until you saw it. But that's that's some really good information right there. We haven't really talked about much. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and it's often overlooked. You 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 just you know you see the antlers, you see the deer, you don't really go beyond that and focus on what's coming or what's the deer doing, how's he acting before the other, and then you know thirty seconds goes by or a minute or five minutes goes by and there's another mature or larger buck or even the same size buck coming with him, that deer done notified me. I'm, I'm an experienced hunter. not saying I'm the best, but throughout year after year after year of watching deer bring other deer through my area, that, that first deer that comes through notifies me that there's more deer to come. Right, right. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And, and this is the, the types of things that you're reading as you're out there. Gotcha. Yeah. Good stuff. And sometimes you don't even you don't even realize it. You know that you you see it a couple times and you see the same things happening after and you're like, oh, okay, now now I see. Right. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And there are probably things that you know that you didn't know you know until I asked you the question. Probably. Right. Yeah. Right. So Jim, you're you're an Ohio hunter. You live in Ohio, but you don't hunt Ohio all the time, correct? Correct. Yeah, I, I do have, I've got a good friend that uh, used to live here in Ohio. I used to work with him and uh, he moved to Missouri, bought a big farm in Missouri. Mm. And uh, I've hunted out there uh, four seasons, once gun season. And then I was back uh, three times now with Bo. And uh, I was fortunate enough, I've killed two nice bucks on him out there. Yeah, great farm. He's got uh, 1,550 acres out there. Wow. Okay. So how does Ohio differ from Missouri? Are there any differences that you notice right off the bat? You know, of course, uh, Missouri is, you know, mainly farmland. He's in the northern. He's almost in Iowa. He's just two counties down from Iowa. And uh, going out there for the first time, I was just amazed with, you know, how flat and wide open everything is. Uh, Probably all of that 1,550 acres, uh, except maybe 300 of it is tillable. So, uh, wow. you know, you're hunting, you, you're hunting, uh, there, there's a, there's a, a river that basically borders their whole property. And there's a section, maybe it varies, but anywhere from 50 yards to a hundred yards from that river is grown up. You know, it's not tillable because the water, the, the flood waters will wash it out and whatnot. And, and uh, there'll be trees and some, some underbrush, but that's where you hunt, you know, you're hunting along that river, you know, there's just a couple, uh, drainage, uh, drainage ditches that are growed up, you know, that's where you're hunting other than where I hunt here at home, you know, it's, there's woods everywhere here mm. and it's hilly and, you know, there's valleys. So yes, the terrain is definitely different. And, uh, you know, being out there, you would, I, I thought it was going to be a little easier because there is a less woods, but it's not the case. Uh, the, the first year I bow hunted out there, 
I hunted two days, daylight till dark, and never seen a deer. And I was hunting along a trail that was cut in, you know, probably three or four inches in the ground. It's like it's like the deer are either they're either here or they're five miles away. <laughs> it's the way it seemed. Gotcha. So this is a loaded question, but which do you like better, Ohio or Missouri for deer hunting? Oh, Ohio, definitely. Okay. Yeah. Going back to your roots. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. I'm gonna get in a quick question there. You know, Jim, you say that you you go from Ohio to Missouri to hunt. Tell us a little bit about how do you prep for a trip like that? Oh, of course, uh, it's about thirteen hour drive, and the big thing for me to prep is uh, is the drive time. You know, obviously, I don't go by myself. I usually take. Uh, this last year, I took my son with me and uh, another buddy from work, but. I've always hated long trips, uh, which it tells you how much I love to hunt because <laughs> I hate driving and I hate riding in a car that long. But, uh, I, I actually, I get a lot some anxiety built up right before I go just because of the long trip. So for me personally, I've got to usually mentally prepare myself. Um, I'm great once I get going, but it's like, you know, getting, I'm, I'm always afraid I'm going to forget something or, uh, you know, something's going to happen on the way out. I usually get a little anxiety built up at the beginning. So uh, once I get over that, once we get going, everything seems to be, you know, a lot better for me. But uh, there's that. And uh, luckily, Missouri isn't a, you can buy your tag over the counter. It's not a lottery draw. So, you know, there's no, no special, you don't have to jump through any special hoops to get a tag like you do some of the states. Right, so you can just walk into any pro shop or where they sell a license and pick it up on the way in. Yes, practically any gas station out there, it seems like. No kidding. Yeah. That's interesting. Why is it like that? I don't know. That's a good question. It's it's definitely, it's a different world out there. And what what do you have to do in Ohio? I'm sorry. Go ahead, Jim. Uh, You can can walk in, you know, any, uh, usually here in Ohio, I don't see them at a gas station, but, you know, in Missouri, we stay in a, in a, hotel uh the nearest town from my buddy's farm and that's probably 10 minutes away from the farm but there's a gas station uh, you know they little, little like convenient type store and uh, that's where we get our hunting license i've just i've never seen that anywhere here in ohio usually it's you know a walmart or some kind of sporting goods store gotcha very interesting yeah. so, so let's let's get into some of the uh, this i know that you shot a nice deer in missouri and you, you mentioned in the pre-show chat that it was one of your most memorable hunts um, I'd like to kind of break that down if we could and kind of see what, what you used and maybe even after that get into an Ohio hunt and one of your most memorable Ohio hunts. But I'd like to kind of break down the Missouri hunt first if we could and see if we can dissect it and learn a few things about how you approached it and see if we can add those tricks to our own bag of, of goodies. Okay. Well, actually, uh, the most the most memorable hunt out there, I didn't, I didn't get the deer. That's okay. It was uh, this, this past season I came home uh, with my tag, but it, like I said, it, I'll remember this uh, this hunt till the day I die because it was I've never seen anything like it, and uh, I know I've told people this story and they probably don't even believe me because I, I wouldn't believe it if I hadn't seen it uh, how it ended up. But uh, I was hunting. It was the second night out, and I was hunting. I, he's got a ladder stand out there about 20 feet up, and I'm probably 100 yards from the river. You know, it's, there's a lot of undergrowth up, uh, some trees, a lot of underbrush. And uh, I, it, was, it was probably an hour before dark. Hadn't seen the thing. And as I'm sitting there daydreaming, I hear a grunt. 
And so the first thing I do is I, I get my grunt tube out of my coat, you know, and get it ready. I take my bow off the hook, stand up off the seat, and I start looking in the direction of the grunt. It was it was a decent way off, but I could hear it. And it, it started picking up, you know, getting more intense, and then I could hear a brush cracking. And uh, within a couple of minutes, a doe just came running full blast out of the brush, uh, my direction. And where she ran out of the brush, she was probably 150 yards and she was just flying and exactly what I pictured come out of the brush behind her, the big rack buck. And I've heard bucks grunt after dozing before, but nothing like this. This was, I mean, it was the roar. He was, he was so aggravated really? that she wasn't going to stop. Oh, it was, it was the most intense thing I've ever heard come out of a deer. And they were running full speed, and I knew I was going to have trouble stopping them. As they got close, you know, I, I come back to full draw, and I did the, you know, same thing everybody does, the whole, you know, trying to get their attention. Sure. Nothing. You know, she didn't look at me, he didn't look at me, and I so I, I yelled, hey, you know, just as loud as I could yell, and neither one of them looked at me. When they got right to me, she turned and ran directly away from me, ran towards the river, and he ran behind, you know, right behind her, followed her. And, you know, that big adrenaline rush, <laughs> I was like, I just sat back down on my seat as I watched him run out of sight towards the river. And he, I guess, again, he was grunting the whole way. And I just kind of sat down there for a second to gather myself, trying to think, you know, wow, what could I have done different? You know, God, you know, should I have shot on the run? Should I, should I have done this? Should I have done that? And I got to thinking that's the, the pretty deep part of the river where they were headed. You know, there's a few places that's shallow that they came across, and that wasn't one of them. Hmm. So I, I got my grunt, and I started blowing that grunt just like he was grunting. Just, a, you know, that long, that, that roar. As loud as I could get that thing to go without it sounding like a goose. Yeah. And sure enough, here she comes. She come running right back at me out of the same spot she ran in. So I stood up again. I kind of flipped my grunt around my back so it wouldn't interfere with my string. And she she evidently saw me stand up. And she stopped and looked at me. And I'm already at full draw. He come right up behind her. And never he never looked up at me once. It was just intent on staring at her. And I released the arrow and watched it just under his vital. It, it went, it went uh. in, but low. And I knew it was a low shot, but I thought, you know, it, that might be, it still might be heart. But I watched it go right through him. And he just stands there looking at her. And she's looking at me. And I'm kind of thinking, I'm thinking to myself, God, you know, start, start wobbling. You know how they do when they're hit, you know, and they don't know it. They just kind of start wobbling and they go down. Right. I'm thinking, come on, man. All he did was just, when that arrow went through him, he just kind of hunched and he slowly turns and looks up at him. And <laughs> that's when I got a good look at his rack. And he was, he was the biggest buck I'd, I'd ever shot at. Oh, wow. And I'm, as he's, as he's staring at me, I look over at my quiver. I have my quiver hanging on the hook yeah. and I'm, I'm looking at him and I'm trying to get the quiver, uh, arrow out of the quiver and he lets me knock another arrow and he stops looking at me and he looked at that doe and it was almost like he was like, oh yeah, you stopped finally. And he mounted that doe. <laughs> no way. <laughs> oh, no I put way. a, I put a two blade rage right through him, which had to be right under his heart. And he bred that doe and he moved maybe another 
15 feet from where I'd first shot at him. Yeah. And that doe just kind of squirted out from under him. And he was standing there broadside and get just, a, just a little quarter and away. And I pulled, I, I, I knew that my first shot, it was evidently a little further than I anticipated. That's why that shot was low. So I allowed for it a little bit further this time. I released the second arrow and being quartering away, I should have put, you know, I should have put it a little back further in the ribs and let it angle up into the vitals. Well, I didn't. I put the, in, in the excitement, I put the pin right on his shoulder mm. and I hit him right in the shoulder, but it was at that angle. I evidently didn't hit anything vital. But it hurt him, and uh, he he ran up into the brush a little bit, and I could see him standing there, and uh, the doe was up ahead of him, and he's still looking at that doe after I hit him with two range broadheads. And uh, he walked into the brush with her, and I started grunting again just to see what would happen. And I brought the doe back out with that grunt, and he never come out of the brush. Mm. And I just sat there. I let it get dark. I didn't even try to find my arrow. I just went back to the to the garage with the guys, told them I'd hit one, and uh, we went out for supper, you know, giving plenty of time because, you know, after the story, obviously, you know, uh, I knew that first shot uh, wasn't – because if it hit anything, it would have been his heart, and he wouldn't have went that far. But uh, we, we gave him probably four hours, four and a half hours, and we went back. I found the first arrow in the first – blood pile where he was standing and looking looking back at my tree it was probably close to 35 yards and i was only anticipating about 25 okay so that's why that's why that first shot went the way it did we found the second blood spot and the second arrow and there was blood i don't know it it, you know it's one of them things where you, you don't know how he's still walking losing that much blood we we tracked him for probably 150 yards and it was just one of the things where you just think around the next corner, he's got to be laying there. And uh, we never found him. I didn't find him that night. Decided to back out. We come back in the daylight the next morning. And we grid searched this whole area and never found another sign of him. Wow. Uh, the only thing that my buddy figured uh, that owned the place is that he might have made it to the river. And if if he did make it across the river, you know, he's made it over on the neighbor if not he might have got washed down the river uh i know my buddy had went out uh during you know when when there was a good snow on yeah this year a lot a lot of times you can find uh bloody coyote tracks i i've i followed bloody coyote tracks back to to dead deer before sure and uh yeah he never never seen a song of him but uh I never would have thought in a million years after putting an arrow through the deer that he would have mounted that doe. That's how intense that he was chasing her, you know, and she was obviously ready and he knew it, yeah. that she was going to stand any second. And, uh, and that's what it was. I, I, I could see the whites of his eyes. That's how rut crazed he was. Right. I would have hated to have been on the ground, <laughs> you know, with him. I'm glad I was 20 foot in the tree. That rut that deer get into it's like a trance and, and i've seen this stuff before where you know I'm, i got a call from a buddy who said that he had hit one the the in the the dusk uh, of the night before and he had to work the next day and asked if me and another buddy could go in and just see what we could find of course you always say yes to that thinking that we might have might find a dead deer well we didn't find a dead deer we found the same deer still walking around fully executing scrapes and rubs and pretending like he'd 
wasn't even hit, but he was limping like a son of a gun. Uh, yeah. no, neither of us ever got a shot. And when the adrenaline was on, he was gone. But he made some of the biggest scrapes I'd ever seen. And he, he was hit pretty square, <laughs> but he didn't go down. So, but that's, it's amazing what they don't let bother them, especially in that rut phase. Yeah, it's intense. Yeah, that's what gets them. That's what you know, gets them killed. You know, during season and uh, and hit by cars. They don't. They have to throw all caution to the wind. Well, I'm sorry you didn't get that deer, Jim. But that's a that's a great story. Absolutely. Yeah, it's it's it was amazing. I like I said, I I still can't believe it. I seen yeah. it. <laughs> now, how was it that you picked that particular spot to hunt that day? Uh, actually, uh, that stand was a that one my buddy put up for rifle season. And, uh, he said the neighbor has a good view of that area. You know, he, he sees deer coming in and out of that area. He, he, he sits up and, and glasses a lot. Mm. And, uh, he, he had told my buddy that he had seen nice bucks coming in and out of there a lot. Uh, and my buddy said, you know, when my buddy told me about the stand, he said, now it's, it's kind of out in the open. And it was, it was a small tree. And when I'm, when I was walking to it, I'm thinking, I'm going to stick out like a sore thumb. You know, I'm like, I'm six one, about, you know, 195. I'm thinking, man, this, this deer's going to see me a mile away. Well, that is the same stand that the, the season before I, I killed 140 inch deer out of. And, uh, and he did see me, but he, he, he seemed something. He obviously, he didn't know what I was. He, as he come down the trail, uh, he looked up at me and I was, you know, I was already ready to draw. And he looked at me just for a second and he just kind of turned and gave me that broadside shot. And that all worked out because <laughs> that was the 20 yard shot that I've been waiting on. But, uh, but yeah, there's, there's that area. When I look at it, uh, you know, I go to like Google maps yep. and, and look at that area. You can, you can literally see the deer trails from space. <laughs> wow. I know it sounds funny, but when you, you zoom in on Google Maps, you can see the deer trails that are going through that area. It's a it's a natural funnel because it's, like I said, there's only so many places that the deer travel out there because, you know, you're in it next down uh, in certain places, uh, so it's a really tight funnel. Right. All right, so and, this uh, is interesting. This is an interesting topic. I've never heard this before. Granted, I'm in New Hampshire, and we don't have a huge deer population, so the chances of me Google and I use Google Maps all the time to hunt. What does it look like from Google Maps? What am I looking for? Oh, I mean, you can. <laughs> this looks like a path. See, they, they look. They, yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely, it looks like a cow path is what is what I always thought. You know, my grandpa had cows, and you know, they would run the same exact trail, you know, two or three times a day, and that's what these trails look like. Interesting. It, it looks like a walking path. Yeah. Dusty, you ever seen this stuff on Google Maps? Yeah, absolutely. I was going to chime in there. It's, uh, you know, there's a couple areas around that uh, really heavily traveled deer trails. Hmm. And uh, a lot of them, you can actually, if they, believe it or not, there's a couple times that I've been able to see um, snow pictures from, I can't, I can't remember the pages I've seen it on, but it actually like, showed aerial snow pictures. Yeah. With snow on the ground, you can see the same trails in the snow where them deer have been wallering them out. Really? Yeah, Google Maps. Uh, I had to look it up and find the exact location, but I'll be able to. Uh, I'll be able to show you one of them, Jay. I got a place down in Southern Ohio that you could see them, and they was uh, like a clear cut woods, you know. Yeah. They went and clear cut it, and you can actually pinpoint where these most active trails were in the clear cut. 
Gotcha. That's fascinating. That's the stuff I don't get to engage in where I'm from. So, Jim, tell us about the uh, the, the prep that you put into that hunt. Was there anything else that you that you uh, prepared for? Did you have a certain type of scent killer? Did you what did you do that day to that you think might have increased your odds? Oh, definitely the scent. You know, I, I several years ago I started buying the uh, the scent blocker uh, suits. You know, that, that those carbon suits, and, and now they've even advanced their technology away from carbon and some kind of other synthetic uh, type of, of scent uh, control. But without, the, I mean, I think that's the biggest, one of the biggest advances, that and the trail cameras, uh, as far as uh, successful deer hunts go. Mm. Uh, because, you know, you, even the scent lock suits aren't 100%, but they're still going to smell you a little bit if they're downwind. But the difference is, Instead of them smelling you at 300 yards away, they might smell you at 20 yards, and then it's too late for them. Right. That's the difference. And, uh, and you know, it's just the whole package, you know, you the, the scent-free soap and the scent-free shampoo. And uh, I use the, the scent lock bags, you know, to store my clothes in. And uh, there's definitely a ritual. Okay. You know, I go through the, the, scent away, the Hunter Specialties uh, scent away, uh, the Fresh Earth wafers i put in the bag with my clothes and yeah the spray yeah i definitely because you know if, if you don't the hunt's over if they smell you there's no doubt about it they, yeah. they know exactly what you are so it sounds like every precaution that you can take to eliminate your smell you take definitely okay definitely i've had i've heard i've read other articles where, where guys might take it a little further like you know they don't eat spicy foods you know, during during hunting season, which I don't necessarily look at that. I might not. I might not eat. You know, something with garlic on it. You know, right before I hunt. But sure. Uh, you know, it's 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 a big factor. Like I said, it's you could you could be in the greatest spot in the world, and and uh, if they smell you, it, it's it's not going to matter. Well, this is an interesting topic about garlic. You know, there are certain things that I th- think are found naturally. Well, not necessarily naturally, but they're found in gardens. They're found in earth. Garlic's one of those things. Do you think that garlic would would cause a deer to recognize garlic as a human uh, danger thing, or is it just maybe, maybe not uh, a human in particular? But I think any odd smell, you know, anything out of the ordinary that they're not accustomed to to smelling, would would definitely you know put a mature deer on high alert. Right, Dusty. What's your call on that diet and and garlic and things like that? I like to eat too much. I don't worry about it. (laughs) All right. Excellent. Yeah, it's a ninety percent luck in my eyes. You at the right place, at the right time. Uh, a, a big mature buck don't get big antlers on top of his head for being uh, being not a good hide and seek player. I'll, t- I'll say that. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't. You know, I, I guess if you was just eating garlic all the time, and you know, early season, you might have a little bit of a uh, little bit of sweat walking in or something. Then you might have an issue. But uh, you know, other right. you'd have to really, really be attacking the garlic. I would say. Right. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So, Jim, take us to back home to Ohio. Now we're, we've gone through your Missouri hunt. T- take us back home to Ohio. What's uh, think of a time uh, that is comparable to the Missouri hunt? Is, is there a deer hunt that you can think of? in Ohio that you would say is your, maybe your second most memorable hunt? 
Yeah, that would probably have to be that the, the first uh, really big buck. I, I killed there in 95. Okay. Uh, this is the now one with my shotgun. The 160 we were talking about? Yes. All right. Yes. Yeah. yeah, let's let's yeah. walk through that. Dust, you want to okay. take take the lead on now? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Jim, roll on as you as you go. We'll we'll kind of break it down a little bit. Wait, okay. We're going back to what year? Ninety five. Nineteen ninety five. Nineteen ninety five. How many deer had you killed before this? Oh, probably maybe seven deer, but just just two small basket rack bucks. Uh, they're you know late eighties. By the by, the late eighties, I was killing a doe for pretty consistent, uh, but always you know always longing for that huge buck. And uh, one of the main reasons that I did I concentrated more effort on bow season is during gun season. I very seldom even seen an antler, uh, you know. And I'm in Coshocton County, which you know is usually one of the top producers of you know of deer in particular and big bucks. Coshocton, Muskingum County. Absolutely. But just, just, just uh, with the way everything's laid out, there's a lot of thick, thick areas, and when the pressure gets on them, unless somebody steps on them during gun season, you're not going to see them. And that's what I was running into. Now, fortunately, with this, uh, with this buck I shot that year, it was the first morning of gun season, and you know, it, it, they wasn't pressured yet. You know, it was, it was everyday business for them, and. Uh, I that was the first year I bought one of them tree lounge tree stands. You guys familiar with that? Yeah, that that was uh, that yeah. was ninety five for sure. A tree lounger. Yeah, yeah, I, I do remember lounge. that. Yep. Yeah, I remember yeah. that myself. Yeah, I, I that was the first year I used it. I was probably up, I don't know, twenty five feet or so, and uh, it was a pretty quiet morning. You know, usually hearing you know average amount of shots, and finally behind me, uh, in the brush, I heard what sounded like Carhartt's ripping through briars is, is the first thing I thought of. And I thought, you know, I'm, I, was, I was hunting on my grandma's property. There wasn't supposed to be anybody out there. And first thing I thought was, oh, here, you know, who's coming down through them briars and Carhartt's ruining my hunt? So you heard this so behind I, you? I heard it behind me. So I, I, I stood up on that. The, the tree lounge had one of them bow hunter attachments where you could stand up. All right. What time of day was it? Oh, it was before 9, before 9 a.m. Gotcha. I stand Stand up, I turn around, waiting to see somebody walk out of these briars, and I see a big rack. And he comes out of them briars, shaking his head, standing there, seeing the sun shining on him. It's just a, it's just a, a picture-perfect moment. And I just couldn't believe what I was seeing. Uh, I, you know, I was expecting to see a, a person walk out of here, and here's this nice buck. It was his antlers I heard coming through them briars. And uh, I just happened to, uh, I seen him, and I looked down directly across from me, and there were, I just noticed two does. And I didn't know if they were going to hurt me or help me at the time. And uh, they were coming my way. They hadn't seen him yet. They were just working their way my way. And somebody might have jumped him on the next property. They wasn't running, but they were, you know, they wasn't stopping to, to eat anything. They were, they were going somewhere. About that time, he sees them. And, you know, being the end of November, first of December, but still, still going, he makes, he heads right for them. And when he comes into the woods, I was just in the edge of the woods, probably 30 yards. He was out into the field in, in the brushy area. When he gets close to them, they kind of spook and start coming right at me. And they brought him right, right by me and uh, broadside, probably, I don't know, 45 yards. Uh, I had a love Remington 1100 with a scope. And uh, he he paused long enough before they went down in the ravine. I shot, 
hit him, and uh, he went down into the ravine and then actually made it up the other side. And uh, he was probably 75 yards away. And you know how they always do. Like, a lot of times they'll stop and look back. You know, what was that? And uh, I put another one in, dropped him right there. And uh, the, the funny thing about it, you know, I got down out of this tree lounge and, uh, you know, went over to him and, you know, counted points and was all excited. Uh, you know, the first you guys have ever drugged deer, you know, your adrenaline rush is still going pretty strong. About the first 30 yards, you know, you feel pretty strong. And then your adrenaline starts wearing off. <laughs> Boy, he gets heavy. Oh, yeah. For dragging, you know, I, I had help then later on, but, but the funny thing was, is going back to get my tree lounge off that tree, I had a hard time reaching it. When I, when I climbed down, I was so excited. I probably jumped, I must have jumped out of that thing at about at least, I don't know. I, I'm, like I said, I'm about six foot tall. I had a hard time reaching it. So I must have jumped out of that thing almost nine feet. <laughs> they don't even remember it jim that's not good for had, you <laughs> i know you shouldn't do I that know. i had a i had a hard time getting it down from there but i did it and you know looking <laughs> back I, man I, that's how excited i was wow crazy how your body gets all excited over a deer oh yeah and that's that's why i do it it's it's it, it consumes a lot of uh my time and uh, my son's time. He's, yeah. you know, he's. I, I got him hunting early, and he's he's killed a buck every year uh, since he's been hunting. He's twenty one. I got him hunting. I believe when he's nine. Okay, he, that's he's, awesome. He's he's killed some nice ones too. We, we've t- between the two of us, I've killed a buck every year since '04 when I started bow hunting. And uh, between the both of us, I think we've got twenty twenty some head mounts. No kidding. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us what tell us what you do with your vacation time, Jim. <laughs> I get I get four four weeks of vacation a year. I save it all for November. <laughs> I take the whole month of November off. That's awesome, Jim. Is there a uh, as a hunter? Do you have any hunting goals that you need to accomplish that would be on your bucket list, so to speak? Oh, I definitely like to bucket list hunt. I'd like to get to Canada sometime. You know, they've got them 350-pound deer up there. Uh, yeah. I'd really like to do that sometime. Gotcha. Or, or, or maybe an elk. An elk, okay. Yep. yep. Okay. Sounds very fair. Um, yep. So one of the things that you've been getting into, and I'm, I'm a fan of this as well, is that you've kind of taken your whole hunting lifestyle, love of hunting, and have introduced a product that you thought through, obviously, that kind of coincides with a lot of the, the the mounts that you have been accumulating over the years, along with your son, to make it easier to hang stuff on the wall. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how you, how you got into that whole endeavor? Well, with the, with the European mounts, uh, I was like everybody else. I just usually hang them on a nail or, you know, sometimes the wood, the wood plaques look nice, but I, I it just wasn't for me. And I wanted something different. I, hanging them on a nail, I always hated how they looked, you know, nose, nose straight down at the ground. It just didn't complement the rack like it should. And, uh, so I started messing around with some stuff. I knew it, I knew there had to be a better way and, uh, did some trial and error and ended up coming up with a Euro hanger. Uh, and it, I just, my whole goal was just to make something to hang my skulls on. 
And, you know, I showed some buddies and they're like, man, that's great. You know, Hey, I want one. So I, you know, made a few for them and they're like, man, you ought to, you ought to sell these things. And, uh, so that meant I needed to mass produce them somehow. <laughs> and, uh, I, I drew up some blueprints. I, I used to, I was a machinist for 18 years. So I had a little bit of experience with, you know, metal working and forming and blueprints. So I drew up some blueprints and, uh, I had them laser cut some out and bend them. And it, it works fantastic. You can't hardly see it. Uh, you, you, you screw it to the wall, you put the skull on it, uh, using the brainstem hole, you know, that's, that's naturally in the deer. You don't have to modify. That's what I liked about it. I didn't want to have to modify the rack. I just wanted to hang it on something and, and have it look good on the wall. And that's exactly what it is. Gotcha. So t- tell us about what it looks like. Oh, it's a, uh, it's a probably three inches high, maybe two inches, two and a half inches wide triangular shaped and uh, there's a there's a uh, an inside cut that i can that you can uh, i bend the tab out at about a 45 degree angle and that tab goes into the brainstem hole and it will it holds your mount just that, with that natural stance that it usually that the deer would have if it was standing there looking at you okay Yep. How did you dis, how did you invent this? Um, I mean, it's you're a machinist, yes, and you have a background. Um, was it just something that popped in your head that this is this is exactly the design, or were there prototypes and trial and errors? How did that all develop? Yeah, I tried a few different things. I tried like a like a piece of uh, rebar or uh, like a round uh, piece of pipe welded to a, a flat piece of steel and. Uh, with that, it it didn't, you know, a lot of times you get a, a big rack buck, and that it was kind of uh, top heavy on the on the round ones, and it would it would want to go to the side. So I ended up going with a with the tab being just flat, and that helps it hold hold the skull from rotating. So I uh, and and it not being two pieces, it's I, I wanted I needed it to be simple and inexpensive because you know nobody. Nobody wants to pay on the leg, you know, for something to die just to hang your skull on. Because I, I mean, if you're going to buy, if you're going to buy a wooden plaque, you know, you see a lot of that wooden plaque, and that's not what I wanted to display. I wanted to display the skull and the antlers. So that's I, I wanted something small, simple, and inexpensive. And you know, with, with a couple of different prototypes, I ended up with with the finished product. And it's 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 everything. It's it's easy to. Easy to hang on the wall, two screws, and uh, you know if you, if you got your buddies over and they want to, you know, a lot of times you like to get them antlers in your hand. You just reach up, grab it, pull it off, pass it around. They get done. You can hang it right back up. Gotcha. Like it was. Yeah. I've played around with it. It's quite impressive, and it's heavy, heavy duty stuff. There is no messing around with this stuff. This this item. Oh yeah. Yeah, and I'm sure that's some of the things that you put into the the research and development. Um, Dusty turned me on to them and I think they're a fantastic idea. Um, Dusty, you want to kind of throw in two cents of what you think about the product? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, um, it's one of them things that the Euro hanger is a, a a head saver in my eyes. A lot of times, um, you know, I've got, I think I've got five 
deer heads hanging with a euro hanger right now in my place. Um, two that are right here in the studio, and I can look at every time I come in. Uh, a lot of times you go in places and you see deer heads, uh, European mount deer heads, sitting on the floor, laying up on a shelf sideways where they really can't display them correctly. And, uh, you know, the euro hanger goes on the wall real simple two screws you slide the deer skull right at the right at the brain stem hole you slide over the euro hanger in your in your skull mount your trophy mount is hanging on the wall you know it's uh man like i said it's it's, it's a it's a head saver a euro saver to me um a lot of times deer heads lay around they get the nose pieces kicked off of them or you bump it and it knocks them off breaks them off the euro hanger is uh um, testimonial that it, it, it does what it's supposed to it displays your trophy european skull mounts that's cool. And can it, um, it looks like it's sturdy enough to hold even another mount. Like if you're just a regular old head mount, it's, um, it might have a good hooking system to hook whatever is, is on the back of the wood of the mount too. Is that accurate? Uh, you talking a full, a full head, like a shoulder mount? Yeah, shoulder mount. No, I, no, I don't, I don't think that would work for that. Okay. I've, I've never tried it, but yeah. Okay. You could hang your, you could hang your coat on it. That's for sure. <laughs> I've, I'll be honest, I don't have any European skull mounts hanging on that right now, but I've got other stuff hanging on it. So it does work for yeah. other things. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. It's, oh, yeah. It, it's, I've never thought of that, but it, uh, yeah, it, it works on bear, uh, antelope, anything similar size to a, a whitetail. Okay. Uh, mule deer. Uh, I get a lot of requests for elk. Uh, it, it is not big enough for elk. I think weight wise, it would hold an elk, but the elk. Antlers, uh, by design, usually have stickers out the back mm-hmm. that interfere with the wall. So, have you ever weight tested yeah, it? Like, how much weight can you put on those things? Oh, I've had I've had fifty pounds hanging on it, and it, 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 as long as your screws don't pull out of the wall, <laughs> you're all right. But right. that hook's not going to bend. Well, and I guess that was one of my my thoughts here is that so long as you're you're anchored to something. With your screws. Yeah. That yeah. thing's not bending. That thing is solid, right. which is very yeah. cool. Um, how does it hang out or how does it do outside? Like if you have, uh, like, for example, I have a, an outdoor screen room, which skulls do great in. You know, it's not like the, uh, you know, a, a skull, unlike a, a shoulder mount, can be outside, actually. It's kind of kind oh, yeah. of interesting, uh, you know, a universal way to mount or, or place a mount somewhere else. So I have it out in my screen house, and I, it's all, all year round, and the, the skulls don't de- degrade or anything. It's great. Um, right. Is uh, how would the Euro hanger do in outside conditions? Oh, it's it it comes painted. Uh, it, it'll it would it would hold up great. I I paint them with good uh, quality uh, rust oleum paint, so yeah, it would hold up just fine outside. Very cool, excellent. I have a few questions, Jim. I just want to ask you real quick before we. Let you go. Um, okay. One of the things that we like to ask everybody, and, and it's different for everybody, if you had to bring one something into the woods that if you left it in your truck, you would feel naked, what would it be? And it can't be a gun. What would your answer be? Do you have a, a special something that you have to go hunting with? Well, if it's during the rut, if I left my grunt at the truck, I would definitely go back and get it. Okay. Because I, I've killed at least three deer I can think of. Was if it wasn't for that grunt, I never would have got them within range. That's a key, a key item. 
That's the one thing you got to have. Especially during the rut. Okay. Yeah. All right. If you have one book that you love to reference to for hunting, is there a book out there that you, that you love more than the others? Uh, I've I've read I've read most of. I haven't finished it because I, I I have do have to, um, a hard time finding time to read anymore. But the Chuck Adams book, uh, Become the Arrow. Yep, I think that's a great book. That's if if I could, I always I told my son if I if I ever win the lottery and I've got nothing but time on my hands, I, I would love to try to do that super slam. There's a lot of of uh, a lot of neat stories in that book of the things he went through to to complete that. You know, it it pretty much. Yeah, I don't know if you guys have read it, but he you know he he mortgaged his house a couple of times to <laughs> to finance that that quest, and I think it cost him a marriage. Wow. But uh, you know. It, I suppose it depends on how you look at it. it. It paid off for him in the end. I mean, he, he got his name on Eastern Arrows. So right, I haven't actually read the book, but now now that you just said that, I think I need to. That's interesting. It's it's pretty neat. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's got some. You know, you, you figure he he, he killed uh, you know all thirty some species of Americans. America's big game, big enough for the record books. You know, and that includes you know all the bears and. Uh, he's, he's got some really neat, uh, really neat bear stories in there. Right. You know, with a bow. Wow. He, he, there was a reference in there where he uh, he'd been watching this big grizzly come out and get some get get fish out of the water and then pick it back into the woods. He did it a couple of times, and he, he him and his guy he had a guide with him with a gun. Yeah. And they timed it up where he was at the bottom of the bank. This deer was uh, this buck was uh, yeah. This bear was coming down to get his uh, fish out of the water, and he, as he was getting close, he told his guide, he says, do not shoot this bear unless he's chewing on my leg. You know, that, that hunt, he had about $10,000 in that hunt. And even if he, if he, if he shoots that deer, or, if he shoots that bear with a, with his arrow, and that guy has to finish it off with a gun, it doesn't count for his super slap. Hmm. So he told him, he says, do not shoot this thing unless it's chewing on my leg. And luckily it worked out for him. It, it come down the bank and he stuck an arrow in its chest. And, it, you know, you, you got a 50-50 chance it's either going to run at you or run away. Right, right. <laughs> and it, 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 it run away and he got it. That's awesome. I thought that was pretty neat. That yeah. is pretty cool. All right, what's your number one hunting tip of all time? Uh, scouting. you you got to know what you got to know what deer – are, are in your area. Uh, I, I run, uh, six trail cameras, uh, each year. I probably take 20,000 pictures a year mm. and I know exactly what deer is there. And, and it, that keeps me in the stand, you know, before trail cameras came out, I honestly, you know, I'm sure it was a naive thought, but I thought there was only one big buck in the area. And, you know, I'd get discouraged when I, if I heard the neighbor kill a big buck, I'm thinking, well, that's it. You know, the trail cams uh, came on the market, and, I mean, we're probably getting, on one farm, we'll get 15 different bucks, and five of them are shooters. I would have had no idea if it wasn't for that trail cam. So I definitely, definitely run trail cams and uh, use that as your scouting tool. That's the best, the best tool on the market for for scouting. Gotcha. Very cool. Know what deer's in your area. That's a good one. That's a very good one. So, Jim. Go ahead, Dusty. That's a great tip. Jim, tell us where you can find the Euro Hanger at. Where can we purchase a Euro Hanger? eBay. 
search search the Euro Hanger Skull Hanger on eBay or uh, check it out on Facebook, uh, facebook.com forward slash Euro Hanger. That's E-U-R-O-H-A-N-G-E-R. Yes. And can we order? Are there order forms there? Or do we have to um, give you a call to, to actually place an order? Uh there is a there is a button on the Facebook page, a shop now button that will take you to the eBay page. Or or I I have uh, I have taxidermists and and whatnot contact me directly. Uh, I offer uh, uh, quantity discounts for 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 taxidermists that want to buy in uh, in bulk. Gotcha. Very cool. Um, and is there a phone number that we should call if if we had other questions about it? Sure. Seven four zero. Five zero two five four four five. Fantastic, well, Jim. This has been an incredible journey with you on a couple of hunts. One to Missouri, one one in Ohio, and uh, I I think your product's great. And thanks for telling us a little bit about how you developed that. Um, but it, it's uh, it's been an honor, and thanks for joining us and talking some deer hunting tonight. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Very cool, and. and Jim tells one heck of a good deer story. Absolutely. That's amazing how that turned out. You know, sometimes when you think it's all right and it's all happening just perfect, there's there's always that end result that, uh, man, sometimes is uh, bittersweet. Yep. I love the product that he also has invented, the Euro Hanger. Um, But I think it's fascinating how people think that they're, they, they get a little nervous. And Jim did tell us he was a little nervous coming on the show. Um, but what I loved about it was that as everybody has that has been nervous coming onto the show, they open up and they relax and they chill out and they just go back to the moment in time when the big deer kill happened or the big hunt happened. And it's like they were, it's almost like they close their eyes and go back in time and just, it, you open up and it's the best, awesome feeling that you can ever imagine. It's just great listening to people get excited about that exact hunt they've already been on years ago and we went back to 1995 how good is that that's amazing that that's one of the great things about being on this side of the mic yeah is uh to see and feel the emotion in somebody's voice when they get excited about the story that they're telling yeah if i ever lose that jay i probably wouldn't be sitting here that's right now if you have a big deer that you shot uh i would encourage you and you would like to tell your story even if you wouldn't I would invite you to tell your story on the show because I know that we can get that story out of you like we have gotten the same types of stories out of other people and got you to just chillax basically and and tell that tale like it deserves to be told. And that's what we do here on the Big Buck Registry. We've been doing this for a while and we just like not only do we do we like listening to deer stories, we like telling them, but we like to let get people to tell stories in their natural tongue and hear it as though you're sitting on the porch at deer camp after the hunt. That's what yeah. we do. It's, it's amazing. Even if you're a little nervous and, and you're a little hesitant to contact us that you want to tell your story, you know, definitely do. I think that once you get in touch with us and, and you get to know us a little bit, that you're going to be just as comfortable with us as you are with, with your friends or even, uh, you know, a sibling that you hunt with often, you're going to settle in and we're, we're going to make the best of the story and bring it out of you and get that excitement and the thrill of the hunt. That's what we chase after, you know. We're thrill chasers as far as stories. Yep. And I would encourage you to, if you'd like to start that process, go to Big Buck Registry 
com. That's our website. Um, or if you'd like to submit a photo, it's bigbuckregistry.com forward slash mybuck. Or just shoot me an email, myhunt at bigbuckregistry.com. And uh, we'll we'll just get chatting about it. And if it's something you want to do, hey, then you need to tell your story on the Big Buck Podcast. Dusty, do we have a Chubby Tines tip of the week? Yeah, we do. You know, uh, this this week I'm, I'm going to get into something personally that I do and, and I want to share it. Okay. You know, a, a lot of questions get thrown at me by somebody that's uh, not really the best hunter. You know, and, and nobody's a, a great pro hunter. It takes a lot of years. Right. And you, you may never master it. You, you may kill a lot of the animals, but I don't think it ever gets mastered. Anyway, you get questions asked, and some of the questions are silly. And I'll admit to that. But it's okay. You know, when you first started, you had silly questions too. Take the time to spread on the knowledge to the, to the younger hunting generations. Take a few minutes out of your day and stop and talk with them. It, it goes a long way. Yeah. It may be that one little silly question that you, you throw out the answer to that uh, seals the deal on, on that young man or lady killing their first animal. Right. No, take take all questions seriously, even though it's it, it may be silly in your mind, and that's okay. But if it wasn't for somebody helping you or answering a question you may have had when you first got going, you may not be able to kill your first animal. So, you know, take all take all the, all the young kids' questions serious and try to help them out. That's great. Yep. Could not have said it better myself. Very cool. Well, thanks to Jim Snow for joining us on the Big Buck Podcast and telling some great deer stories. Dusty, how can we find you when you're not on the mic? Facebook.com forward slash Chubby Gobbler. Facebook.com forward slash Chubby Tines Outdoors. You can also shoot me an email at Dusty at BigBuckRegistry.com. Jay, how can the people reach out to you? First, uh, I would love to invite you to join us and download our new podcast app player specifically for this show that's bigbuckregistry.com forward slash app you can find it on the itunes store you can also find it on google play now which is very cool uh you can visit us at bigbuckregistry.com forward slash facebook if you'd like to check out our facebook page twitter is twitter.com forward slash bigbuckregistry you can go to youtube we have some videos up there bigbuckregistry.com forward slash youtube and if you would like to send in a picture of your buck, it's bigbuckregistry.com forward slash mybuck. All the instructions are right there for you to check out. There's a video uh, instructional tutorial right there where you can learn how to get your buck featured in front of 150,000 plus fans that are diehard deer hunters like yourself. And if you have an outdoor product, as we had talked about in the beginning of the show, uh, you can actually go to bigbuckregistry.com forward slash sponsor and learn how you can get your product filled in as a sponsorship slot for this show, as a pre-roll or mid-roll or maybe in some videos on Facebook. And let's see, what am I missing here? Oh, and if you are a listener of this show and you would like to pledge your support for the show, go to bigbuckregistry.com forward slash pledge, P-L-E-D-G-E, pledge. Other than that, you can send us an email, j at bigbuckregistry.com or dusty at bigbuckregistry.com or give us a call at 724-613-2825 and leave us a voicemail. 
with either feedback about the show, something you'd like to see us do on the show, something you didn't like on the show, or if you have a deer story, a quick deer story to tell, that's a great place to leave it. If you don't have time to jump on the the record button with us, then uh, that's a good place to do it. I think that's it, Dusty. Big buck, big buck everywhere. Uh, big big buck. buck. Love that, by the way. Awesome. Yeah, great show. Thanks for tuning in with us again this week. Man, what an amazing time we had with Jim Snow. Yep. Great, we, great deer storyteller. Love that. We look forward to the next show to bring you all. Man, this gets better every week, Jay. Love it. Every single week. I'm Jay Scott. And I'm Dusty Phillips. This is the Big Buck Registry's Big Buck Deer Hunting Podcast. We'll see you next week. Can't wait.